This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Uh, if you're new to our church, uh, our kind of our primary practice is to look at the Bible um, and to look at it either at entire sections or books of the Bible. Uh, we just finished up a, a long trek through an Old Testament book, the book of Exodus, and for the last several weeks we've been looking at just a, a few verses in Matthew chapter 5, so I'll, I'll invite you to turn there if you're following along. And Matthew chapter 5 uh, has contained in it the words that are uh, frequently referred to as the Beatitudes of Jesus. This is this is a public discourse, uh, a sermon, uh, for lack of a better term, that Jesus is giving uh, to a group of his early followers. So these are some of Jesus' first um, public words. And contained in chapters 5 through 7 is what we, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And these opening verses, um, it's Jesus' introduction. And the introduction is an introduction into the way of the kingdom of God. And the more time I spend with them, uh, the more uh, I am perplexed by them. And so we have been looking at these individually, and this morning we're looking at the sixth beatitude. Uh, there, are, there are eight beatitudes. Um, some people think there's nine, but, but I'm going to go with, with eight. And before we read um, this week's beatitude, a little insight into my life. Uh, we've, we've lived in, in the same home that we're, we're, when we moved to Albuquerque. Uh, almost seven years ago, and uh, if you know anything about me, you know um, that I have never been referred to as a handyman. Uh, I've just just didn't grow up around tools much, and so I'm kind of learning, fumbling my way uh, through home ownership, and you know, doing some of the odds and ends. And uh, yesterday, two things happened. Uh, one was I had a had a lofty, high vision conversation with one of my neighbors. Uh, he's, a, he's an older gentleman, uh, he's seen a lot, done a lot in life, and, and we, we kind of had coffee together. We, we were talking about my house and how we, we want a fourth bedroom uh, so each of our kids can have their own bedroom, and we don't really want to move. And so we, we got this lofty dream vision casting about how we're going to do an add-on in our house. And uh, I came home to Heather to tell her the good news about the add-on we were going to be doing, and it was like this real wild idea. This is, I can't even go into details here. It was wild. Um, and she just kind of looked at me and just moved along with her morning. Um, but, but so I kind of had that, that lofty view. It was a little deflated after that conversation. And then the second thing that happened was um, we did want to replace a couple shower heads. Uh, and, and I felt like that was in my wheelhouse. So I was like, okay, we, can, we might not be able to do the add-on we could do the shower head. So me and my 11-year-old son uh, took to it, and with the help of YouTube and my 11-year-old mechanically engineered uh, son's mind, we were able to change these shower heads, and man, was it an accomplishment. It was just like just the, the smallest minor tweak. You know, I, I basked in all the glory of a new shower head this morning. It was, it was wonderful. The Beatitudes... Um, are nothing short of, of a renovation of our hearts. Um, if, if you're going to belong to Jesus in the kingdom, and my assumption here is that, that many of you do, but some of you don't, 
Um, so I'm not assuming all of you belong to Jesus and his kingdom. But if you are going to, or if you have interest in that, uh, this opening sermon of Jesus is inviting you to nothing short of a full renovation of your heart. And up to this point in the Beatitudes, um, I feel like they've felt like showerheads. Become poor in spirit. You know, feel your need for God, showerhead. Right? Mourn. You know, be a mourner. Grieve life in a fallen world. Grieve your sin, showerhead. Right? B- become more meek. Like, become a meek, kind, gentle, humble person, showerhead. Hunger and crave for God's righteousness. Like, cr- stir up some desire. Want to follow God, showerhead. Okay? Uh, last week's, uh, sorry, it's not, not on my memory. Uh, merciful. Be more merciful, right? Show a little more mercy in your life. Okay, showerhead. But you get to the sixth one, and it's, it's a full bathroom renovation. Um, the invitation of the sixth beatitude, it, it took me a while to dig, but I think God, I think God has something for all of us in this, and it is, it's, it's a renovation, friends. So let me read the sixth beatitude, and then we'll explore it together. I'm picking up in verse 8, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I will be the first in this park to admit my resistance to this beatitude. Lord Jesus, I believe that with these words, um, you are inviting us uh, to, the, to the biggest renovation projects any of us have en- ever been a part of. Jesus, we want to believe your words to be true and relevant. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would use me to communicate the truth of your word and the relevance of your word. Lord, I, I want the good news about you not only to be clear today, but I want it to be real. So would you help us all now, Lord? We're all distracted and hesitant and resistant in so many ways. And so we need the help of the Spirit to come, to fall on our hearts in fresh ways so that we can see, hear, and believe incredible things from your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my kids came home a couple weeks ago, um, bursting through the doors uh, with joy and delight in his heart, which if you have school-age children, you know is a rare thing. And he comes to the doors with this. It is, it's the prize parade. And if you uh, have had children in you know, the school system in the past 10 years, you're familiar with the, the, the school fundraisers, right? So he comes home with the prize parade with big, ambitious dreams and aspirations of how he plans to crush this thing. Um, Let me just give you a little taste of it. Um, If you sell six to 10 items, which, you know, the items in the catalog, you know, they're gouging you for like $20 a a piece. So you figure that's $120 to $200. You will get uh, some some glow slime. So if if you'll make $200 for the school system, 
they'll give you some slime. But if you're if you're really ambitious um, for 24 to 34 items, which I'll stop doing the math because I can't do math on the fly like that, um, you'll get some i9 ear pods, not to be mistaken with Apple AirPods. These are i9 ear pods, um, and you know, and on and on it goes. And and my my son. He had his eye on, on, of course, the top prize because, you know, we're not raising low-ambition kids around here. Um, he, he had his eye on that Xbox Series X, which requires 175-plus items. Uh, so, you know, do the math on that. You've got you've to make a bunch of money. And, and, you know, as any good father did to his son, I immediately uh, began to deflate his dreams. I told him how, you know, even if you sell that many items, all that actually happens is you're put into a drawing to, to maybe win those items. And, and, and on top of that, you know, I sadly let him know that, you know, unless we were to, you know, put this as a membership requirement on church members to purchase something from the pastor's son, I told him you probably don't even know 175 people. And, you know, my poor son was immediately, you know, furious with me, and uh, I had to repair and repent of all that. But, uh, but, that, but that stirring drive and ambition, you, you, know, you know what that feels like, right? The bubbling of excitement of the prize that's, that's put, put in front of you, like you can attain this. Um, I want you to feel that about this beatitude. Because here's, here's what I believe to be true about what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapter 5, specifically in this beatitude, but of course in all of them, is that he is not sending you home, you know, with an, with an over-promised, under-delivered reality. He's not offering you something that cannot be yours. In fact, what, if you've been around the church at all, not just ours, but any church, um, in the Bible, here's probably the way you've heard um, this sermon preached, um, is that it's entirely future-oriented, right? You have to have a pure heart, and you'll, you don't have a pure heart, like we just confessed. And so the only way you'll have a pure heart is by believing in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you're purified, but, but not until he returns will you see God. And so it's, it's entirely future-oriented. And here's, here's my problem with, I mean, that's, that's fine. All those things are true that I said, by the way. All those things are true. But as one of my seminary professors would have told me, that's great doctrine, wrong text. So what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, none of the other ones are entirely future-oriented. So I don't know why we would think this one's entirely future-oriented. You know, we don't just say, be merciful, and later down the road you get mercy. We believe we receive God's mercy now. You know, we don't say, you know, mourn your sin and mourn life in a fallen world and you'll be comforted later. No, we, we believe you'll, you'll receive comfort now. So in, in this, in this um, beatitude, here's what Jesus is, is saying. You will see God. And that is a big prize, friends. And if there were anything to send you bursting through the doors of your life, Longing for a prize, it would be that. I want to see God. And the problem with so many of us is uh, we have no clue how to do that. 
we're pretty clueless on, on, on what Jesus is saying here. And so I, I'm hoping I can help clarify some of this because I think this is true of every single person here is that you want to see God and that you need help doing that. So here's how we're going to handle this beatitude. We're going to ask questions of it. Uh, when I don't know what kind of points to make, here's if you, you know, sermon insider preacher tip. If I, don't, if I don't know what kind of points to make, I usually just ask and try to answer questions of the text. So here's the questions we're going to ask of the text today. We're going to ask, what is a pure heart? Then we're going to ask, how do we get a pure heart? And then we're going to ask, uh, what happens when you get a pure heart? So what is a pure heart? Uh, first thing that, that we have to understand is what the Bible means by the heart. You know, when you and I think of the heart, we probably think of one of two things, either just our emotional life, or we think of this, you know, fleshy, blood-pumping organ that's in the center of our being. And, and neither of those is what the Bible's talking about. When the Bible uses the language of the heart, it's talking about the center seat of your personhood, which includes your emotional life, it includes your, your volitional life, so the things that you will, and it includes your rational life, or... or smaller words, it includes your feeling, your thinking, and your, and your behaving. So that is, that is what's the heart of a person, is, is how you, you know, what controls you. It's your, it's your chief executive operator, right? It's the CEO of who you are. That is what the Bible means uh, when it's talking about the heart. And so your heart dictates and determines your entire life. And Jesus frequently just goes to the heart, right? He's, I'm going to show you how he does it in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in a moment here. But, but Jesus is perpetually concerned with the center of your personhood. Who are you? Um, but what does the Bible say about our hearts? Let me just read uh, a couple things that the Bible says about our hearts. The Bible says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was continually evil. It's Genesis 6. In Jeremiah 17, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So in, in the Old Testament, um, it's very clear uh, that, that our heart... Um, it's, it's riddled with problems, right? It's the condition of the entire human race, right? It, it would be the language of, of having a, a sin condition, right? But, but also in the, New, in the Old Testament, there were whispers um, of another one who was coming to do a new thing. There, there were whispers in the Old Testament that something new was going to happen, uh, and so Jeremiah, the same prophet who gave a, an incredibly dark assessment of our hearts, also said this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Or the prophet Ezekiel would put it like this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
So what is it that changes the heart from one that continually loves evil uh, to one where God's law is inside of it? And, And what I would suggest is what Jesus is introducing to us is the new way. And the new way is to have our hearts replaced. And when you get a new heart, maybe some of you have had like a heart transplant, the blood that is pumping through you, now using the organ kind of metaphor, it's all in you, right? So then what does Jesus mean when he says that you should have a pure heart? Um, Just by terms of definition, that word can be translated as clean or spotless or clear. So uh, it's also used in in metal working. So to take out the impurities of metal. So it's this idea of an unmixed or unalloyed um, material, right? So like gold, you would, you know, the refining fires would bring out all of its impurities and you would skim off the impurities. So it would be pure gold, right? So Jesus is suggesting that the way to see God is to have a pure heart. Now, if you've heard anything I've said, you're feeling the tension. You know, I have an impure heart. And Jesus is saying, I have to have a pure heart. How do I I get that? Um, Well, well, Psalm 24, which we use as our call to worship, it gives us a clue of of what Jesus is after. Let me me read Psalm 24, and I'm reading verse 4. You don't have to follow along. I'm reading a lot of Bible today. Don't feel like you have to flip. I've got it all here. Uh, the psalmist says this, who, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who can go up to be with God? Who, who can stand in his holy place? And here's, here's the psalmist's answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Okay, so that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to see God, if you want to ascend the hill, if you want to be in the presence of the Holy One, you need clean hands and a pure heart. But then he gives us terms for it. He says, here's, here's what a pure heart doesn't do does not lift up its soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, those are two really key indicators for us today, and here's how I want you to understand them because this is what it means to have a pure heart. The first is you have to have what I'll use the language of an integrated heart or a whole heart. And what I mean by that is you have to be, you have to be connected to reality. You have to be connected to, to truth. And not just truth in the sense of like dogmatic doctrinal truth, but the, like the truth of your life. Who, who are you really? So what the psalmist and what I believe Jesus is saying is that if you want a pure heart, you have to be integrated with your reality. Because God only dwells in your reality. Now you can continue to pretend that all is well. You know, you can gloss over it. And, and, and here's the thing. The God of the Bible never forces himself on people. He's sovereign. He'll come into your life in really meaningful, powerful ways, but he's, all, he's always looking for you to say, I'm ready to come to terms with my reality. So it's, it's an integrated heart. And then the second piece of it from Psalm 24, doesn't swear deceitfully, is that it's a transparent heart. It's honest. It's open. Because here's the other thing about the God of the Bible is um, he's not interested in parading around 
um, hearts that are closed off to him. Now, he'll patiently wait to get in there. But here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to see God, you have to be connected with your reality, and you have to let me into to, to the truth of what's going on inside of you. It's Jesus and the psalmists and the Old Testament prophets are all pointing us into the interior of our lives. Listen to the way some commentators and translators would say it. Um, well, here's, here's David in Psalm 51. Uh, he, this is his, his, you know, his great confession of sin psalm. He says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. I mean, what does that mean if not your interior life? We're going to need that. What does that not mean if it's not your interior life? Well, G- Jesus and David are on the same page. You have to be true with what's going on in your in- inner. Or J.B. Phillips, who, who did a Bible translation, here's how he translated this beatitude. Blessed are the utterly sincere. Right? Really true to who, who, what's going on. Or Eugene Peterson, I've been talking a lot about him because I'm reading his biography right now. Here's, here's how he translates this, um, this Greek passage of Jesus's. He says, you're blessed when you get your inside world put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. That, that's the heart of what Jesus is saying. Pure inside, interior life, you could see God out here. Uh, and then the last one is, is John Stott, famous Bible commentator and preacher. Here's how he comments on this beatitude. He says that their, the whole life of this person that's embracing this beatitude, their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. So what's a pure heart? A heart that is integrated. It's whole. It's connected to really what's going on. And then it's It's transparent. It's honest. It's open. So how do we get that? Let's, let's not be theoretical. Let's, let's talk about how we get that. I'm going to do a quick audience poll. We don't always do this. If you're new to our church, we're not always like hand raisers, although I wish we raised our hands more, just going to be honest. Um, so I'm not a big lottery guy. Uh, no problem if you're a lottery ticket purchaser. But here's, here's what I know about the lottery is if and when you win it, uh, which is rare, hard to do, um, you get two options. Uh, you get the annual annuity option, right, where you get the full amount that you won spread out over the course of whatever the terms are, 30 years or your life or probably longer. Or you can take the lump sum, right, and you, you take a smaller amount, but you get it all in one shot. Um, I need to know what kind of church we are right now. So um, who, who would take the larger, be honest, honest and open hearts here, who would take the larger sum over the longer period of time? Okay, okay. Rick changed his mind last minute. Who would take the lump sum and just give me it all? Oh, man, fairly divided. Okay, I can't, I can't come to conclusions or terms. I thought it would be way more lump sum. Um, I, I try to tell myself I'd take the annual, but I don't know. Although I've seen what the lump sum can do. It can wreck your life. Um, but here's, here's, here's why I'm mentioning this. Um, I think um, that you think, because this is what I think, um, that God is, is primarily going to give us the lump sum at the end of the deal. And this is referring to what I talked to in the intro. I think that all of us just think, oh, we're just sludging through this life, 
And man, I can't wait to get to the finish line where I get a pure heart and I get to see God and it's all, it's all good, right? Like I think that's how most Christians live their life. Like just get me to the finish line, right? Bleeding out, limping. Here's, here's what I'm convinced of. I don't think that's how it is. I think God is interested in the process. I think that he, you know, for his people who belong to him, the, the process of having a pure heart believes now, begins now upon belief. So he's, he's, God's more of an annual annuity guy. He wants to give you little bits here and there. And so the, the, way, we, the, the way we get uh, the pure heart is the first thing is we have, to, we have to know what's in it. You have to have a willingness to be seen and searched by God. Uh, listen to Psalm uh, 139. It tells it this way. Uh, o Lord, you've searched me and known me. And then at the end of the psalm, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now here's what most of us hear. God, would you look into my heart and tell me where I'm a bad person and how I can become a better person? And while that might be part of the truth, it is not the whole truth. Because what I think, again, the psalmist and the New Testament and Jesus is after is Jesus wants a heart that's integrated with your reality, open to what's really going on, and that's where he does his work of removing impurities. And when I say impurities, I'm not just talking about your behavior life. I'm talking about, who, again, your heart, who you are as a person, you know, what you think, feel, and do, all of it. Um, and so... You know, the, the best thing I could, I, can, I could come up with to parallel this is from C.S. Lewis. I think I've been using C.S. Lewis a lot lately. My mom texted me about C.S. Lewis this week, and that was like, I was like, oh, man, I'm really talking about C.S. Lewis a lot. But um, C.S. Lewis, uh, if you're not familiar, he, one of, some of his writings are the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, these books that were written for children, which have incredible spiritual truths to them. Well, one of the books is called um, uh, Dawn of the Voy Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I think it was the third book in the series. And Voyage of the Dawn Treader is the story of, um, you know, Lucy and Edmund. The, the kids are traveling to go see Aslan, and they have their cousin, uh, Eustace Scrub, with them in this, in this book. And Eustace is this, this young boy who, in the journey to see Aslan, came up, upon a rich treasure, and he stole some of the treasure. And upon stealing the treasure, he became a dragon. And on the way to going to see Aslan, when he, when he gets there, um, Aslan begins the work of transforming him from a dragon uh, to a young boy again. And there's this, there's this great section in the book, and I'm just going to quickly read it, uh, that talks about uh, uh, Aslan, who's, you know, he's the Christ figure in the book. Uh, Aslan comes in, and he, he does this deep, transforming work in young Eustace. He says this, this is Eustace uh, telling the events to his cousins. He says, The lion told me that I must undress first. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began coming off all over the place. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, this is a water of magic pool that would heal him, just as I put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. And then the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back, 
to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. He says, you know, if you've, you've ever picked the scab off of a sore place, it hurts like Billy O, but it is such fun to see it coming away. See, what Eusis is describing there is the thing that Jesus is inviting us to, and that is to be undressed. It's for the scales of our heart to fall away. It's to allow that deep, painful incision of the divine claw that feels like it's cutting your heart open and you will not survive it, but it is a healing cut. Jesus, through this you know, narrative, is saying, you must see your impurities. You must let me cut into you. And listen, friends, this invitation um, is for Christians. This is, this is not for someone who doesn't know the work that Christ has done for them. This is for the believer. To have, to have God's hook, as it were, into the, the deepest parts of you and to see the scales fall away. It's the only way to get a pure heart. You'll never have what Jesus is offering you if you're not willing to do that. And, um, and if you're not willing to do that, here's, I mean, here's the thing. Like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay if you're not willing to do that. Like, Jesus is the most, he's the most patient one. Again, he do, he's not forcing himself on you. But if, if you're not willing to do that, here's what you have to know about yourself. Is instead of living the integrated, transparent life, you're, you're living a divided and dishonest life. You're divided from your reality. You're unwilling to look inside of yourself where God wants. And you're disconnected from, from the truth of who you are. And Jesus, he always paraded around those kinds of people. And he was rarely interested in them. But the people that were, were interested in having integrated, connected, whole selves and were open to being honest and transparent, there was a, a level of authenticity and vulnerability and risk in them. Those are the people Jesus always pursued the hottest, right? Those are the people that Jesus could do the most work in. So here's what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 6, which is, this is his application of the Beatitudes. Here's the thing about the Beatitudes. This is free. I just, this just came to my head. Here's the thing about the Beatitudes. Once you see them, you can't unsee them. They're everywhere. Like the, the Beatitudes, I'm telling you, they're everywhere. So what Jesus does after he leaves the opening section of chapter 5 is he applies it. He, he shows us, here's how the kingdom life works. And I'm just going to give you two examples that Jesus uses. One is he applies it to the heart that's full of ambition. And by ambition, I mean um, the heart 
that um, is just set fixed on the American dream. I'm applying to this our context, but to the American dream, right? It's fixed on promotions. It's fixed on increased salary. It's fixed on bursting nest eggs. It's, it's fixed on all those things, and none of those things are bad. You know, Jesus made it very clear. That's okay. You can have all, all those things. Um, but he would, say, he would say, listen, wherever your heart is, or wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So what he's saying is, listen, if your heart is fixed on, on the life that, that you want to live, right? You just want, you know, beamingly successful children, or, you know, whatever, whatever your heart is fixed on, that's where, you know, your treasure is going to be right there with it. And then his conclusion of that application is you can't love God and, and, and money. You can't serve them both. And so, you know, the, the heart that is wrapped up in that, it's not integrated with reality. Jesus is saying, I've got another way. Or think about, uh, he, he, he applies it to the heart that's full of anxious. Anybody have an anxious heart these days? Anybody worried that all this is going to work out? Right? So like the heart that is just wrapped up in the turmoil of life here, right? Uncertain of where we're headed and, you know, where's the political divide? Like all the things consumed by that. Jesus says this, I'm summarizing him for sake of time, but he says, listen, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Look, you know, I take care of them. I'm going to take care of all this. And then his conclusion is, uh, you know, don't be anxious, right? For tomorrow has enough troubles sufficient for the day like don't be don't be anxious and he's not just like you know jesus is never like oh your heart's it's so worried about the world what's wrong with you can't you just focus on me he's not like that at all but what he's saying is there's another way and the way is the way of the pure heart and the pure heart is the one that's connected to your reality it's it's honest with what's going on am i feeling anxiety jesus i'm feeling anxiety am i feeling despair jesus i am feeling despair right now by feeling overwhelmed by the demands of my life, Lord, I am overwhelmed. That's an integrated pure heart. He's not saying the pure heart can't ever have anxiety or despair or sadness. What he's saying is you've got to be connected with the reality of it. So that's, that's what Jesus is asking you. Is, you. is your heart integrated with your reality? Or are you living some other life, the life that you want or the life that you think you should have? Jesus is saying... The way of the kingdom is to have a pure heart, okay? So what happens if you get it? So all those things, if you're willing to be seen and searched by God, you're willing to be honest with what's going on inside of you. If you're, you know, like the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my ways. Come on in. If you're, if you're interested, and maybe you're not, you can, you can, you know, check out at this point in the sermon. But if you're interested in that, what happens? Well, it's the prize. Um, and the prize is to see God. Now, the big debate is, what does Jesus mean by that? Is he talking about literally seeing God, metaphorically seeing God, spiritually seeing God? I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer, but I've got a couple clues for us to, to you know, fish around with. Um, here's, you know, here's what the Bible clearly says, and this is the good news. In fact, if you've checked out because you're not interested, at least hear this. This is the good news, that God has made himself known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that, you know, no man can see God and live and, and all those things. You know, he, he dwells in holy, 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 so we can't see him. But, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we see God coming and making himself known to the world. So if, you look, if you're looking anywhere 
to see God, it is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, Colossians uh, chapter 1 says this, Jesus Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Uh, uh, Jesus says this in the Gospel of John, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you're to look nowhere else, you're to look to the person work of Jesus Christ. But, but, but now, you know, post-resurrection and ascension, where is Jesus' face? You ever think about that? You know, Jesus would tell his disciples, it's better for me to leave so that then I can send the Spirit, right? And that's kind of mystical and cool. But d- did you ever think about, like, where is Jesus' face? Well, the, the answer is it's not very far away. In fact, the answer of the Bible is that his face is in every single person. It's imprinted in it. It's the imago Dei. It's the image of God in the world. So when Jesus says things like this, whoever receives a child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, uh, whoever does not receive me, oh, whoever receives me uh, receives him who sent me. In other words, God's face is in our children. Or maybe when he says, uh, remember when his disciples said, uh, Lord, when did we feed you? When did we see that you were hungry and thirsty and, and need a drink? And he said, well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. So where's God's face? Well, it's in the marginalized. It's in the poor. Why, why is the good news such good news to the marginalized and the outsider? Because they have nothing. And so Jesus is saying, pure hearts see me everywhere. Now, you know, he might mean more than that, but, but I, well, here's what I think happens, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land the plane. What I think Jesus is saying is people who belong to him in his kingdom and have hearts like this, their center is like this, they'll see God everywhere. And what you do for, for the least of these, you do for me. And this is what I think God's program and design for bringing the kingdom of God on earth is. Blessing to the nations. The people who have hearts that are fixed on me, they're unmixed, they're unalloyed, they're clean and they're clear because they let me in, right? This is my program and design for changing the entire world. Here's how I will meet the needs of the world through my people. Um, Let me close like this. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid when you hear me say, to have a pure heart and to see God, you need to be seen and searched. You're afraid what's going to be found out. Like when we're all honest and we, even if we have a little willingness to peer inside of us, what do we see? We see anxiety and doubt and fear and sadness and despair and rage and pain and ache and sickness and suffering, and we see all that, and we say, this can't be the way. God, God, you know, God must have better for me. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, I'm inviting you to be seen and searched by me. And you have to know that that claw might feel like it's striking your core vitals, but that is my loving touch. And when I'm pressing in on you, and it feels like you're going to unravel and you're not going to hold it together very much longer, I'm going to be right there with you. And then he says, and and when you're known like that, you'll be able to do what I'm inviting you to do, which was his opening one-liner, repent and believe the good news, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And repentance is nothing more than a returning to God. And Jesus isn't asking you to cover yourself in shame and guilt and despair. What he's saying is return to me. Come back to me where you left me. And then that's how change happens. That's how, that's, that is how God transforms kingdom people. Let me close with, with the scriptures. Jesus summarized why he came to earth with these words. He was at a synagogue, which would have been kind of like this. It would have been largely outside. It would have been a small gathering in a local area. And he pulled up a, a passage from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and this is what it said. If you ever, if, maybe if you're new to Christianity and you're like, why did Jesus come? Here's the answer. Jesus said this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends of Mosaic, the year of the Lord's favor is here. Jesus Christ has brought the kingdom of God to earth and the entire renovation program is starting right inside of you. That's terrifying and delightful at the same time. Let's ask God to help us be open to that process. Let's pray together. Father God, um, exploring the depths of your word, uh, hearing Jesus uh, invite us to have pure hearts so that we can see you. Uh, Lord, uh, sometimes it just feels like a mountain too high to climb. We just feel unworthy, ashamed. All, all the reasons come in. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you that you would do such a work in this, in this little church that you're building here in Albuquerque, uh, that the spirit of the living God would, would blow the wind upon our hearts in such ways that we're willing to be seen and searched by you, that we're willing to be known and loved by you, and that we're willing to be renewed and changed by you. God, much like Eustace, we want to just lay flat on our backs and let you do the work. So would you do it, not for, not for our own glory, but for yours, Lord. We want, we want your kingdom to be evident and present, present here on earth. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 